0: Shout with joy to God all the earth, sing the glory of His name, make His praise glorious. Happy New Year from your friends at the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for taking time each week to listen to our sermon podcast. We pray that each message inspires you to draw closer to God. I want to read for you today from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes is one of those books we don't hear from very often, but I'm certain that you'll find yourself familiar with this passage of Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the first 13 verses. For everything, there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep. And a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What What gain have the workers from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He's made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, He has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. Can you imagine that for the last 2,500 years, when people read these verses, their minds did not automatically sing turn, turn, turn. Like, like that they, they I cannot read this without the song from the birds immediately coming to mind and uh, remembering through that song with, with this. That song that has uh, just kind of elevated uh, this passage of Scripture. The book of Ecclesiastes that, for the most part, we ever, hardly ever hear from. If you mention the book of Ecclesiastes to anyone, they're probably just like, isn't that the book about vanities? <laughs> Which is basically a way of saying, we know he repeats that word a lot, but other than that, it seems kind of depressing. We don't know much else about this book. But yet, the birds made this one selection, the first eight verses, quite popular for us. The, the, this, story, this part of this book, this, this poetically wisdom literature that speaks to us about the times and the seasons that we're in are so important for us to remember, to know the season of life that we are in, to recognize the season that we are in, and to know it for being just a season. One of the things I've noticed Is that when someone does something exciting, when someone goes on a vacation, when someone enjoys time away, when someone does something unique? It is public knowledge. Everyone gets to know. You can find it on a Facebook page. You can find it on Twitter. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on any of the social media ways. You you can find people making videos and putting it on YouTube. If you want to know that somebody is doing something exciting, they're going to let everybody know. And if you are connected in any way with with a, a following of people that you like to keep up to date with or a friend group that you have with Facebook, you can follow what they're doing. And what you'll realize very quickly is it always seems like somebody's having a great time. (laughs) Somebody's going on vacation. Somebody else is doing this this event. Somebody else is celebrating something else going on in their life. And what we do is we take these, we see these pictures of everyone's mountaintop experience. And it's great that they're sharing them. But we'll see this friend, okay, they're having a mountaintop experience. They're having a mountaintop experience. They're having a mountaintop experience. And we see, and we see, and we see. And then finally we say to ourselves, well, why aren't I having one? Everyone else seems to be having one. Everyone accepts me. But what, of course, is happening is that each of them have entered into their particular season, if you will, their time. But one of the things that people start to look at is realize, if we can't recognize that each is into our season, all we're doing is looking out at what other people are doing. It can create its own sense of depression, its own sense of uh, what am I doing with my life? His own sense of, but I'm not having those moments. It, c- it can create its own kind of turmoil. And so I have found that um, uh, there- there's a f- few bits of advice I've had throughout my life that just kind of stayed with me, some things that I've just kind of remembered. And I want to share a few of them with you. One was from a ministry professor, and he was, telling us about different tricks of and tools of the trade, of of ministry, of, of how it is that we, we you know we engage in our work. And and one time he, he he took a moment, he paused, and he said, he says, I want to tell you guys something. When you get in your first church and you, Whether it's just you or you and your spouse, and you get in your first home, and, and if the church has a parsonage, it's going to be you know, a home you weren't expecting to live in, but you know coming out of seminary or out of college from your dorm room or your apartment, and you go into that first new house, you're going to remember how your parents' house looked, and you're going to be welcomed into the various homes of people who go to your church. You're going to go into their homes, and it's going to look so nice, and it's going to be decorated, and it's gonna, they're going to have all this nice furniture. It's going to look glorious. And you're going to go back to your home, and you're looking at him like, man, this seems empty. <laughs> and he says, and you're going to be tempted to just fill that as fast as you can so that you can have it. But you need to remember, he said, your parents and your grandparents and the people in your church, they took a lifetime to fill that home. Took a lifetime. So do not rush to try to fill it. Don't, don't pour on debt in order to try to fill that home, and then he said, he said, when my wife and I were first married, our first dinner table was two plastic crates with a board on top of it. And he said, that was our dinner table. That was how we ate at first. We, could, we didn't have a table to begin with, and that's how we ate. And it was okay, and it was good. And so it was advice he gave to us as new couples. It was good advice because, sure enough, in our first church, we had a parsonage, and we had just come out of this tiny little apartment. We're like, whoa, how do we fill this house? How do we even imagine doing something like that? And, and, and to, to realize that, that life and the things that we have around us build up. There was, um, that, was, that was advice I received uh, in my 20s. Uh, Advice I, I received in my 30s was uh, while I was pastoring in Illinois and shortly before uh, I moved away, uh, there was a pastor who had come. And uh, he was somebody I'd heard of, somebody I knew. He had pastored in Kansas City while I was in seminary. I didn't go to his particular church, but I'd heard his name. And uh, he, had, he had moved to the area. And he was started coming to our church, and he said he was going to start coming to this church. So I said, well, that's great. That's wonderful. And he started calling me pastor, and that was weird. I was so excited to have a mentor, someone who had been in ministry for a few decades, someone I would be able to talk with, but he would call me pastor and be just so glad to, you know, was so nice to have a pastor. It's a nice change of pace. And I said, so why did you move here? I need to ask, why did you move here? And uh, I said, you, you had a great ministry in Kansas City and uh, well-respected in the denomination, why, why did you move here where, when you didn't have a church you were moving to? And he said to me, he said, Tim, I want to tell you. He says, uh, my wife has honored the call that God put on my heart to go into ministry, and she has followed me everywhere I've gone. Every church, every location, every place, she's followed me. Well, she uh, she had this opportunity to teach at this university here, and those opportunities don't come easy. And uh, and I, and uh, finally it, it it dawned on me, or God said to him, however it was he said, he said, it was time for me to follow her. And so I follow her, and I know God's going to use me, and God's going to work through me in some way here. But uh, I decided to follow her after she's followed me all these decades. And I went, wow, amazing, amazing. Uh, in, in, my, uh, in my 40s, I'll say after moving to late 30s into 40s, I moved to uh, Maine and uh, I heard, heard this story, a story of uh, uh, another lady who told me, she said... Uh, Uh, She was, her husband was retiring, he'd been a mechanic all his life, Uh, worked long hours, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, long hours, uh, uh, there at the beginning that his mechanic shop opened to when it closed, working on other people's cars, uh, day in and day out, hardly any time off, just always working, always working, and always coming home covered in oil and grease, and this is what He did. They had bought a a property uh, in northern Maine, and uh, about one week out every year they'd get to go up there. Rather than that, he was working again and again. And one of the things he had said is, someday when I retire, it would just be great to be able to live up there and just move up there. And I asked her, I said, but you've lived down here near this area, South Portland, Cape, you've lived lived this area most of your life. You're, You're willing to go up there and move up there? And she said, he has done this job faithfully, tirelessly, without complaint, providing for us, providing for his family for forty plus years, and she says, "I'll have no problem moving up there and letting him live in this place that he has wanted to live in." And uh, and I was just amazed hearing that. And as I heard these different stories of these different people from from the professor who talked about what it was like to live without a table, uh, the pastor who said, uh, "I'm following my wife now," uh, uh, the lady who said, uh, "I'm going to let my husband retire where he wants to retire." Not a single one of it, not a single one of them said it with even a hint, a hint of regret. Not even a hint of, oh, I wish this wasn't way." There, there, was, there was no sign at all that they were oh, making a sacrifice or something like that. There was joy. There was happiness. There was, there was talk about just recognizing that there were seasons in their life where they recognized where they were and what they were doing, and they were living into those seasons. In each of those moments, they were talking about what was happening next and recognized that was a different season in their life. And when I look at, back at those stories and look at what it t- takes for those people to be happy and to, and to recognize that that is who they are and that they can find joy in these various stages of their life, it was because they learned how to live in those seasons. They learned how to celebrate those moments. When we constantly look back and mourn what's lost, oh, those teenage years, if only I had the body I had when I was in my teens, or the hair, you know, if only, if only I had those moments, I could go back to that, oh, it would be so much better. When we do that, we miss out on the current season. When we look at, oh, I can't wait till I get retired, and I don't have to deal with the people I deal with at work, oh, won't that be great? We miss out on the blessings of now, on the seasons with which we find ourselves today. And so the words of Ecclesiastes remind us that there are indeed various seasons, some very joyous ones and some very hard ones. And he says in, in, this, in this time of knowing our seasons and trusting that God is at work with us in these various Uh, seasons he tells them as they go about their work to work not for pleasure but yet to find pleasure in their work not to work for pleasure that's something he warns in chapter 2 we didn't read that one he says if you're just working so you can make the most of your day and you can have the best advantages over everybody else and you can just take it easy that's just going to prove to be vanity that's just going to be proved to be something that just wastes away and passes away like a vapor that passes through your fingers. It is not going to last. But to find instead that we are thankful for those who have learned to find joy and purpose in their lives and in the work that they do. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I, I, I still remember this. this is, uh, there, there was a guy who I was in seminary. He... Uh, Just like me, just as wide-eyed and optimistic uh, about life and what happens next, and I remember him saying, uh, uh, "He says you should do the work that you're passionate about, and if you're not enjoying your work, or you should do the work you're passionate about, and if you do that, it won't even seem like work." And, uh, and I just remember laughing when I heard that, because I said, well, sooner or later it feels like work. It always does. That's just the nature of, of any job. You can be very passionate about something, but there are days, seasons, if you will, where it's a little bit harder than other times. And I found myself hearing him say that and thinking to myself, well, I'm thankful for people who have found meaning in some work that perhaps isn't very fun. I'm thankful for those people who, um, um, I don't know. I'm thankful for people who um, uh, run the transfer station. I'm thankful for people who um, work on cars. I'm thankful for people who um, uh, 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 who are engaged uh, in, in in the work of construction. A road construction where they just get honked at all the time. I'm thankful for people who do work that's hard and, and seems at, at, at surface level. Where do you find meaning there? Where do you find joy in that? But yet necessary, meaningful work for our communities to continue for the work of the life that we have to go on in the ways that we know, I'm thankful for people who say, "You know what? I have found meaning in precisely what it is that I have been gifted to do," and I'm thankful for those who who have found their meaning not in traditional work, but sometimes in um, uh, nonprofit work or stay-at-home work or whatever work it is. They said, "This is where I am." find meaning in what God has called me to do because they realize that where they are pouring their lives into is something that is bringing, going to be meaning to where it needs to bring meaning, to their families and those around them. Because life, of course, is more than just wake up, work, eat, sleep. Wake up, work, eat, Sleep, it's more than just that. As much as that is a cycle of some of our days, a season, if you will, it is so much more than that. And of course, it's obvious, I think a little more obvious to say that now as we just come out of the Christmas season. As we just come out of a season where we've spent time with the very people that bring meaning into our life. But each season has purpose and each season has direction. As uh, this preacher will say, this, this author of Ecclesiastes will say, that God has put past and future in our minds. He has given us an idea for us to remember and to see that there is indeed a cyclical nature of things, that sometimes there are seasons in which we realize this one is hard and we're looking forward to when it's easier. They, they recognize that God allows us to remember things that have happened before, but also to look for and to and to imagine what is going to be like when we step out of, of a current season. It helps us to see, indeed, that as much as things repeat, that there is also a purpose. There is also a direction. Uh, in ancient thought, the cycles of the seasons were the struggles of various gods in combat in some other realm and so the good the bad side when it's winning it's fall and winter comes and it's getting dark when the good side is winning spring comes and the sun starts to shine and now we can start to plant our crops and it's wonderful and so the world was seen as a constant battle of struggle all life is is constant, constant struggle and just seasons of struggle and victory and being defeated and overcoming, and it was just not very, there's, there, there's no optimism, there's no hope in that at all. We've seen some of that in thoughts of uh, life is just the struggle for survival. Life is survival of the fittest. I I remember uh, hearing a theologian who who critiqued that statement. He wasn't critiquing everything in, like, I don't know, evolutionary thought. He recognized, yeah, there might be some things that, that have patterns and flows of change. But he said this idea that life is nothing but survival of the fittest is just not quite right. Life is not nothing but competition. In fact, you'll find... That where there is the absence of love, survival struggles. Where there is not love, survival cannot take place. Whether, we, whether it's looking back at studies that were done in the 20th century of animals who were taken care of, and uh, some were taken care of with physical touch, and love would thrive, and those who were only taken care of with food that came out of bottles surrounded by wire mesh failed to survive. Just different ways in which we recognize that even in like, taking care of it and, and having love in our families, that what we realize is the value of a hug is sometimes greater than any gift that we might receive or have received for Christmas That love is indeed the key to our survival. That there is something more than just the constant battle and competition that happens in our world. And that is part of the creation story. The creation story is the retelling of the idea of creation by the people of God to say, our God has entered into the chaotic mess of this world. The waters seen as the chaotic mess... And God has said, No, there's purpose and there's order that can be made out of this. And His Spirit hovers over the chaotic waters in Genesis chapter 1. And out of that chaos creates order. And the six days are created. And God says about all of this creation, not, oh, uh, well, they're going to be a mess in just a little bit. No, He says it's good. It's good. What I'm making is great. And what we find and what we have celebrated in this Christmas season is that God has entered into this world, into this chaotic world, and has said, I love this world. And there's a purpose and a direction for this world despite what seems to be the cycles and the seasons of returning to sin or returning to violence or returning to darkness. God brings purpose and order to what we do. and We find that God grants that in the joy of these seasons of life. They are seasons of memory with fondness of what has passed. And so while we might lament indeed what has passed, we can also celebrate and say, but God has been good in those moments. There are joys of example still to leave with those around us. There's still the joy of teaching others to live with grace And to commit to prayer and hope. And when we find that the seasons have caught up to us, when we find ourselves wondering about meaning, or we find ourselves wondering about purpose, and we find ourselves wondering about the the recurring nature of the times, we're reminded by this word of Ecclesiastes that, that the vanity of the seasons does indeed fade away. That there is a driving purpose behind it all purpose precisely because God enters into these cycles and breathes purpose into our bodies. It's something that as I thought about this passage again and again and what I said to Brenda earlier is yeah and as I thought about this passage I could not help but sing the song again and again. It's something that the birds, the musical group that retold this story, their final stanza after singing, there's a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. So after recognizing the cyclical nature of things, the final stanza says this. There is a, it's part of their retelling of this. A time to gain, a time to lose, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time for love, a time for hate. A time for peace. I swear it's not too late. And the song ends with that word. And as much as they've just sung about the turning cycles of the seasons, it ends with a hope. It ends with a direction. The song ends like like a beacon of light pointing out into the darkness. There's got to be somewhere we're going with all of this. There's got to be something we can live into. And so, too, does God give direction in the midst of the seasons of our life toward his creative and restorative work in our world, with the restorative work of justice or of neighborly love, of inspirited fellowship together in the face of a hurting world. And this hope takes place in the midst of hard work, in the midst of toil through these seasons, that our God says it's not just Repeat ad nauseum. It's not just get up, go to work, eat, sleep, and do it all over again. There is purpose even in those mundane moments. And in some ways, uh, as we get ready to enter into a new year, hoping it is something new, hoping that it is something different than what we experienced this last year, but if previous years are any indication... If indeed Ecclesiastes proves to be true, I think that we will find that the same seasons come and go as years prior, and the chances are we're going to come to the end of 2024 with the same kind of good riddance thoughts <laughs> that we might have at the end of 2023, and that we'll enter into that following year with the same kind of trepiditious optimism <laughs> that we're currently stepping into 2024 with. I hope this year's better. Yet, if we might step forward knowing that the joy of the year does not come from the various outward experiences that influence us, but by the God who breaks into the mundane with purpose, that the God who has entered into all the rhythms and seasons of life with us, then we might find indeed there is joy and there is purpose to be had in all of next year's seasons. And there's hope and there's joy for each of us in this coming year as well. And I think that is the hope and that is the message of Ecclesiastes who speaks to us in the midst of us wondering, is this just this more of the same? Or is there something more to be found in the work that God has put us to? That God's joy and God's purpose can break into our lives precisely where we are. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us again this week. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve Him today.